Today on Blue 58, in many ways, the Packers' offensive line was the defining position group of their season. It included some of their biggest question marks, some of their biggest wins, and ultimately may have been responsible for their biggest loss. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, very happy to be with you here for another episode. The NFL Combine is underway. Hope you are enjoying the circus-like atmosphere of NFL coverage these days as we see guys who are fast, run fast, guys who are big, lift heavy things, and everybody just kind of speculate about, well, pretty much everything. In the meantime, we're going to talk about one of the biggest pieces of the Packers' 2021 season, their offensive line. Overall, I'm not sure how much more you can ask for from this group in 2021. They missed, for extended periods of time this season, David Bakhtiari, Josh Myers, Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, and I'm sure I'm forgetting about somebody else. And as a unit, it never really looked like they were in over their heads. There are some issues you can criticize, sure, If you want to talk about deciding factors in the divisional round game, the offensive line, I think, is an under-discussed aspect there. The line did not play well in that loss to the 49ers. And wouldn't you know it, the 49ers, pretty strong in the defensive line, ended up taking advantage. Some weird coaching decisions played out on that position group, too, at that time as well. Why no Yash Nyman? Why Billy Turner jumping over to left tackle? How would David Bakhtiari have made that group different? We'll never know the answer there, but he does end up being a big factor by not playing in two consecutive playoff losses. That's a bit of a bummer, and uh, it's something that we're never going to have an answer for. Like, how would things be different if David Bakhtiari is healthy? I think you could make a pretty strong case that it's two consecutive Super Bowl appearances for the Packers, but them's the breaks. Sometimes things don't quite go your way. But again, overall, I don't think there's a lot to complain about on the offensive line. They got good performances from their best guys with the exception, I suppose, of David Bakhtiari, who it really isn't his fault. They got better than I think expected performances from many of their other guys. And I think on the whole, it was a position group that I think performed, by and large, about as well as you could possibly have asked it to. An interesting and I think welcome side effect of the Matt LaFleur hire in Green Bay has been the increased focus on the offensive line. And I think, as challenging as it is to understand what goes on with the offensive line, it's, if not easier, just better understood now than ever before, the overall offensive line play. And I think the Packers, in particular, have an interesting approach to the offensive line, one that makes it pretty easy, or again, easier to understand. I'm reminded, or I was reminded, as as I was prepping for this episode, as of a quote from our Blue 58 book club read from last offseason, Blood, Sweat, and Chalk. There's a chapter in that book about the zone-blocking scheme, and legendary offensive line coach Howard Mudd had an interesting, I thought, quote about the offensive line, and, and zone-blocking in particular, that I thought really applied to the 2021 Packers season. Now, as background... Mud does not think that zone blocking is particularly new or revolutionary, which I think is is an interesting perspective given um, the prevalence of the system in the offensive line world today and, and the NFL as a whole. The Mike Shanahan wide zone run 
play action offense system is basically the gold standard in the NFL right now. That's what everybody is trying to get to. And it's predicated on this zone blocking scheme. And there, at least according to a couple offensive line minds out there, is a significant reason why teams should be exploring this. It's easy. Mudd said, quote, zone blocking is easier to teach. There are fewer things that can go wrong because you're creating this mush where guys are working with the guy next to him and there's just less space for things to go wrong. Now with this, of course, you're going to lose some of the techniques that I grew up with, the angle blocking and pulling, but it's just easier. Over the years, I've been in so many meetings where we said, oh, heck, let's just zone block it. And that's what we did. End quote. I think that applies to the Packers in 2021. And it may explain a lot of why they were able to succeed with such a patchwork offensive line group. The Packers philosophically, for a while now, have really prioritized athletes at just about every position, and that includes the offensive line. Now add those athletes in with an offensive system that is presumably, if you believe the people who are teaching offensive line at a high level, easy to teach, And you've got a recipe for an offensive line that's easy to keep going, even if you're losing some of your elite talent. Just something I was thinking about and thought might be interesting to you. In any case, the Packers offensive line, I think, had a great 2021 season. Top to bottom, I think you got above average performances from pretty much everybody. So let's dive into that just about everybody rundown, starting with the man who played The fewest snaps on the entire 2021 Green Bay Packers roster. And if anybody who actually appeared in a game, Cole Van Lannan gets the prize for the fewest snaps. He played exactly one on both offense and special teams combined. One snap on offense. The good news for Van Lannan, he made it into a game. Really no bad stuff to talk about for him. Because he was a, a day three pick on a team that was investing pretty heavily on the interior of its offensive line for the past couple of years now. He's making a position switch. Look, no real complaints there. Looking ahead to 2022, there's a good chance he has an opportunity to up that snap count a little bit, especially if Lucas Patrick ends up elsewhere. The Packers are going to need to do some filling on the interior of their offensive line. There are going to be opportunities at guard. There's going to be opportunities behind Josh Myers at center. There are opportunities for interior offensive alignment on the Packers, and that's why guys like Cole Van Lannan will probably be sticking around into 2022. Same goes for Ben Braden. He played four snaps on offense and 71 on special teams in 2021. Good news for him, he's still a big dude. Uh, He played a lot of guard, a lot of tackle in training camp. And the Packers like his versatility for that reason. He's big, fairly athletic, can move him around, and you can win with guys like that on the offensive line. There's nothing really bad, I would say, about Ben Braden, but he's a fairly replaceable body. You can find guys like him, I think, fairly easily. And I come off a little bit lower, I think, than I normally would on a guy who has the sort of playing time profile of a Ben Braden because of how the Packers were talking about him in training camp. There was some very real talk from Adam Stenovich and others about how Ben Braden had a real shot to start at left tackle during training camp. That really obviously did not end up happening. It may have been a pipe dream to begin with. Who knows why they were saying that? Kind of have to assume they actually meant it, but who knows? He ended up just being another offensive lineman in the shuffle. If you're looking for a bottom line on 
Braden, it's hard to not come to a little bit of a negative conclusion because it's probably not a great sign that the Packers never really looked his way given all of the turnover on their offensive line and talking all training camp long about how he was a legit threat to start. Well, then they have needs and Ben Braden is practically nowhere to be found. Okay, well, what do you make of that? It's hard to come to any conclusion other than that the Packers just didn't want him out there. He, though, has sort of the same outlook, I think, as Ben Braden. Looking ahead, there are plenty of opportunities for interior offensive line depth. Guard tackle versatility helps. Maybe ends up elsewhere. Maybe not. But the Packers like to keep guys around that they're familiar with. And he's a guy that they've been fairly familiar with over a couple years now. Jake Hansen only slightly outsnapped Ben Braden. Six snaps on offense for Hansen, 13 on special teams. The good news for Hansen is that after a lost year, essentially, in 2020 due to injury and illness... 2021, he made a little bit of noise, and we're talking a very small amount of noise. He made it to the active roster. He appeared in a game. Six snaps worth of a game. It might have been across a couple games. It doesn't really matter. He didn't really have a chance to do anything bad, and after a redshirt year in 2020, he gets basically another redshirt year in 2021. Looking ahead to 2022, this time, you would think, is going to start to pay off for him because the Packers are going to need some center depth, and if they do... Jake Hansen, a college center with a lot, a lot of playing experience, something like 3,000 snaps at center in college, might be your man. I'm not saying he's an elite center prospect. I'm just saying he's got a lot of time put in at the position. He might be the de facto number two center as of right now on the Packers. Sadly, the next guy up after Jake Hansen is David Bakhtiari. 27 snaps on offense, none on special teams. I've got a really hard time saying anything about his 2021 was good. He did make it back onto the field. That is good. He didn't stay there for long, though. That is bad. And as a result, pretty much everything about his 2021 is bad. It, you can't really call it anything but a lost season. He did his interview with Cheesehead TV, which was informative, but I think there's going to be a little bit of damage control being done there on all sides. I'm not saying David Bakhtiari is you know, an unreliable narrator or anything, but there's incentive to, you know, remove any blame from yourself too. The other side though, is that, man, this stuff just happens. It doesn't have to be anybody's fault. It probably isn't anybody's fault. I think if you want to complain about anything with, with Bakhtiari, and I'm not saying this is legit or something you should do, it seems like there were some wires that got crossed there somewhere along the line because the Packers seemed to think he was coming back. And he seemed to think he was coming back until he started to seem like he didn't think he was coming back as the Packers continued to think that there was a real shot he was going to play. Maybe the two sides should have been put together a little bit more to get on the same page there. But, man, it's a, it's another just odd turn in this saga that, again, has potentially cost the Packers two trips to the Super Bowl. That's a real bummer. Looking ahead to 2022, he doesn't seem to think there's any reason that his knee injury is going to slow him down this season. Maybe. I say wait and see. Things could get complicated on the left side of the Packers' offensive line because Elton Jenkins also recovering from a torn ACL. As is hard to say. I mean, not hard to say like we don't know, but it's just difficult to admit that, yes, David Bakhtiari still recovering from a torn ACL too here in now month. 15 or so. 
and look, when I say it's frustrating, it's frustrating as a fan on the outside. I can't imagine how frustrating it is for him. It's got to just eat at him every single day. This is his career on the line. This is his legacy. And right now his legacy looks like an injury out of his control cost his team two trips to the Super Bowl. At least it put a big, big damper on their attempt to make it to the Super Bowl. Bummer. That's the way things go, though. Josh Myers is up next. He ended up playing 293 snaps on offense, did not appear on special teams. It was real good prior to his injury. Made it all the way back, and that's pretty good, too. He was, by and large, I thought pretty good in the Packers postseason game, too. Not a liability, at least. The bad, of course, is that injuries wiped out most of his rookie season. And whenever the words bone infection come up, just, no, thank you. I would rather not. Um, and that was one of the things that Myers had to deal with. Uh, and again, would rather not if I could avoid that. The bottom line, though, is that he was real good. The Josh Myers, Creed Humphrey thing that we talked about a few episodes back is always going to be interesting, but it's more a curiosity than anything. Something I think we forget is that in something like the NFL, it's possible for, if not everyone to win, multiple people to win. And it's just possible that the Packers and Chiefs both got a center they really like. That happens. It's possible if the two guys switch spots that their seasons would have played out the exact same way. Like maybe maybe Creed Humphrey gets hurt and he gets banged up and we don't get to see how good he is for the for the Packers. And maybe Josh Myers has a great season for the Chiefs as they go as far as they went in the playoffs. I don't even remember. But uh, circumstances matter. Sometimes things just play out and multiple guys get into good situations. Speaking of good situations, Myers' future looks pretty bright in Green Bay. And I'm interested to see how his career goes, being that he's a bit of a different physical profile from offensive linemen, especially offensive linemen, interior offensive linemen centers, than we usually see in Green Bay. Dennis Kelly comes up next in our count. 305 snaps on offense, just 21 on special teams. A nice stopgap at right tackle, I would say. Bad news, though, is he was only a nice stopgap, which made the ending of the 2021 season all the more puzzling. Given what we saw from Dennis Kelly down the stretch in 2021, it's I'm left a little bit puzzled because I think it was pretty clear that Kelly was a guy you could get by with, but as soon as you had a better option, you should stop trying to get by with Dennis Kelly. Solid player, yes. As soon as you've got a better option, you should go with that option. It was like Rick Wagner in 2020. Wagner was was good, about as good as you could expect, I think. But if you had any other option, that's what you should have gone with. And that's what the Packers did, too. The question heading into the divisional round is, why didn't the Packers try any other options? They had Billy Turner, but they wanted to start him at left tackle instead of Yash Nyman. What... I I still don't understand the calculus there on Kelly relative to the other options the Packers had. I think you can criticize him for his play in the divisional round game. Sure. He did not play well. Gave up a couple sacks, a couple really costly ones. But I also think he got put in a bad situation in that divisional round game. And that is not on him. You can criticize him for not playing well, and, and that's fair, but you also, I think, have to criticize the coaching staff for him putting him for putting him out there. I should just pull the soundbite from an episode of The Office. I think it's it's Pam talking about Michael at, at one point when she's like, 
at some point you have to ask who let the toddler get behind the wheel of the car. Is it really the toddler's fault if they crash the car? Something along those lines. You get what I'm trying to say. If you put somebody into a bad situation, you can blame them for the outcome of that situation, but who put them there? That's the real question I think you got to ask. And for all of Matt LaFleur's great work, I think, on putting guys in positions to succeed during his time in Green Bay, that is one example I think you can point to and say, okay, he did not really help Dennis Kelly there and, by extension, help the Packers in that game. Kelly's not going to be in Green Bay in 2022 if they have any other options. A nice story, sure. A fun little social media thing when he came out dressed in David Bakhtiari's uniform uh, right after arriving in Green Bay. But ultimately, that's all it's going to be, and probably a big reason the Packers look to draft an offensive lineman fairly early in this spring's draft. Elton Jenkins, our next man up here, 496 snaps on offense, eight on special teams for Big E. We were witnessing, I'm pretty confident in saying something special pre-injury for Elton Jenkins, a Pro Bowl level guard playing tackle at a Pro Bowl level. That's pretty rare. And it's really unfortunate for Jenkins that he didn't get to finish out that season and get recognized at the level that I think he probably should have been for his performance at left tackle. The knee injury derailed that story. And that basically ends up being the story of his season. It was awesome until it wasn't. And I think for 2022, all you can really do with Jenkins is hope for a better outcome for him than what David Bakhtiari experienced. It's a bummer. And you hope there just are are no long-term effects for Jenkins because we're starting to think contract for him in the relatively near future. I feel like we should spend more time on Jenkins, but it's a pretty simple story. He was great, then he got hurt. That's it. Football's a cruel game, man. Yash Nyman, 590 snaps on offense in 2021. More, I think, than just about anybody would have expected. 86 on special teams for Yash. And really, I think you can describe his 2021 as as saying he looked like he belonged. That's one of the best compliments I think you can give an offensive lineman, I think. The game never looked too big for him, rarely too fast for him. He looked like he belonged out there. He's still a little bit limited as a player. He might actually be too tall, which affects some of your leverage and your, your lateral movement sometimes. Strength is a bit of a question mark sometimes too, but he is a good athlete. He's still a great prospect, and he played, I think, about as well as you could possibly ask him to in the circumstances. He's going to be a rich man at some point because guys like him with his physical attributes who can play don't come along all that often. Fortunately for the Packers, he's an exclusive rights-free agent this offseason. He's a no-brainer to return to the Packers, and next spring, he's probably going to get starting tackle money somewhere. Good for him. Quite a story, undrafted free agent to big free agent cash-in if he stays healthy for a year. Cross your fingers for him. Billy Turner, next up, 810 snaps on offense, zero on special teams. I think I can say pretty confidently that this was Billy Turner's best season in Green Bay. It wasn't perfect, but he hasn't been perfect since he since he came here, but... I think this was basically everything I ever wanted for him in Green Bay. He got to play one position, which is all I've ever wanted for him to be able to do. And when he was able to settle in at right tackle, wouldn't you know it, he played pretty well. 
The bad news is that he was injured down the stretch. And then the Packers made the very questionable decision to play him out of position in the divisional round game, putting him at a a spot that he hadn't played in literally a year against an elite pass rushing front and just hoping for the best. A wish is not a plan. And that seems like what the Packers were doing with Billy Turner in the divisional round game. Bottom line, I think for Turner, like Jenkins, is pretty similar. Good story, bad ending. He was not great in the divisional round game. Few people were. But again, he got kind of put in a bad situation. Cap stuff notwithstanding, I'd like him back for 2022. I know things get a little bit complicated. I do think he's going to end up being back in 2022, but you never know. We're still kind of riding the lightning on this. We'll see what happens. Getting to be the top end of the the snap counts here, top three guys for the Packers. Number three, Lucas Patrick, 911 snaps for Lucas, 64 on special teams. I think this was maxed out, Lucas Patrick, the full deal, the best we're going to see of him. He was healthy all year. The worst we saw was he was questionable in week two. Other than that, not on the injury report, not on the final injury report, that is. He ended up third on the team in snaps, played well at center, played well at guard. There's still some limits there as a player. If you target him, we saw this last year, Philadelphia Eagles game comes to mind, the Carolina Panthers game comes to mind. If you target him, you can take advantage of him. And he got taken advantage of a little bit in the divisional round game. At this point in his career, you've got to be comfortable with the limits. Yep, he didn't play well at times. That's the limit of his game. There are going to be some rough moments with him. On the whole, I think those rough moments were fairly few and far between. And I think the rough moments may have happened because he was in a bigger role than people probably should have expected overall this season. And had things gone differently with some injury stuff, he may never have been in that position to begin with. Here's another hypothetical for you. Say David Bakhtiari comes back and is healthy for the divisional round game. And say Elton Jenkins didn't tear up his knee. What does the rest of the Packers' offensive line look like? Well, Billy Turner is probably at right tackle then, sure. But what do you do with your guards? Josh Myers is at center, so you don't need Lucas Patrick there. If Elton Jenkins is on the left side, who do you put on the right side? Is it John Runyon or is it Lucas Patrick? I think I'm inclined to say Runyon. Lucas Patrick gets a lot of the try-hard stuff, and good for him. But I think Runyon is probably just a better player. Patrick, probably a better run blocker. Runyon, a better pass blocker. Interesting thought experiment there because there was a lot of moving parts there that just made that an impossibility. Outlook for 2022 for Packer or for Patrick. Uh, he's a free agent heading into this offseason, and I think he's going to get overpaid by somebody. Overpaid here meaning more than the Packers can pay. He's just going to get a contract that makes it impossible for him to come back to Green Bay, and honestly, good for him. Former undrafted free agent working his way up the ranks in Green Bay to becoming a, a key contributor on the offensive line. Hopefully someone else sees the value in that, and hopefully someone rewards him for that fairly richly. It's probably his last best shot to catch it, cash in. Hopefully he can do that. Two more, and then that's the offensive line for 2021. John Runyon, the first of the two. 1,053 snaps for Big John, 86 on special teams. He started 16 games for the Packers in 2021, tied for first among offensive linemen. 
He's a good but not great run blocker. Much better as a pass blocker than, than against the run. So if there's a hole in his game that you want to talk about, it's pushing people around in the run game. But overall, I think a really, really good second season for Runyon. Great draft value for the Packers, and I think still an ascending player. You should pencil him in as one of the Packers' two starting guards for 2022, I think. Maybe put it in pen, honestly, uh, because there's really no other option who should be ahead of him. Even if you like Royce Newman a lot, he's probably going to be at the other spot. They'll probably leave Runyon on the left side and just have him take care of the left side at guard. Speaking of Royce Newman, he ends 2021 as the Packers player that logged the most playing time of anybody on the team, on offense or defense. If you're not counting special teams and some of the things there, sure. But Newman ends the season with 1,084 snaps on offense, the most snaps on that unit on the team. He earned himself a starting job. That is good, and you can't take that away from him. And you can argue, not even argue, point to some fairly empirical data that suggests he got better as the season went on. It was real rough at times early on. That cannot be denied. But three of his five best-graded games from Pro Football Focus came in the last month and a half of the season. He was getting better. Still, I think, too easily confused. If you follow some of the film grinders uh, online, you can pretty regularly find him getting lost when teams ran stunts up front. Uh, The line that people I communicate with talk about is that if you cross his face, he will just follow the the most recent thing that he saw. And that's a big no-no if you're an offensive lineman. But I think this was a good foundation to build on. He can take a step forward from that in 2022. If he's just a little bit more consistent, the Packers might have themselves a nice little prospect here because he too is a pretty good athlete. He can add a lot of value to the Packers as a depth piece. I will remind you that Looking back to his pre-draft process, he worked out for teams at tackle and at guard, where he ended up um, playing for the Packers, obviously, but also at center. He spent some time at center um, in the Senior Bowl, and I think you can't leave that out of the plans for the Packers in 2022. Like we've said, the Packers need some help at center. Maybe Royce Newman is an option there. Maybe they look for him look to him to provide a little bit of depth there. He's done it before, maybe not all that well, sure, but I don't think you can leave it out of the equation for Newman entirely. Just worth keeping in the back of your mind. That is the offensive line, and that's all I've got for you on this group. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. I appreciate all the time you've given me over this offseason so far, and I'm excited for what continues to to come up here. We've got uh, pre-draft stuff starting before too long, We've got our continued look back at the 2021 season, and I'm grateful that you've chosen to spend some of your offseason with us as well. It means a lot. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, I'd encourage you to share it with someone else you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and continue to help more people get involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers. And that, in turn, is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.